Today is all about the empty cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Hallelujah. Uh, this here story that um, I'm going to mention was told by dear Abby in response to someone's question. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. Bill and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. On the eve of his graduation, Bill's father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was so angry that he threw it down and stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. Can you imagine this? It was the news of his father's death that brought Bill home again. As he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across the Bible his father had given him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check. It was dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. But look what he did in his anger. How many people in this world have done the same thing to God, literally tossed aside a wonderful promise because they didn't understand it or they don't believe that it was possible. In our world, we are taught that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So many of us have been taken in by empty promises that we are leery of anything or anyone that tells us we can have something for nothing. We have to remember who Christ is in us and his word. The world simply doesn't work that way. But you know what God does. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. But you know what God, um, the truth of the matter is, the world is full of empty promises. That's the world. But not our God, not our Bible. We watch TV and the advertisements tell us that we can be happy, rich or famous, if we only purchase certain products. That's for the world, right? It doesn't take long that we, uh, for us that we can be happy. Yeah, I said that already. Mm -hmm. And before we have been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness, we can only go by the Word of God and what we have been taught through the Word of God. But God is different. Instead of promises full of emptiness, 
on the resurrection day, he gave us emptiness that is full of promise. To think about the promises of Easter, there are three of them. Each promise is marked by something empty. It was an empty cross, an empty tomb, an empty burial clothes, an empty cross, an empty tomb, an empty burial clothes. It is the very fact that each of these is empty that assures us that God's promises are real because they couldn't hold Jesus because he couldn't be contained by the cross, the tomb, or even his burial clothes. We can be sure of the fullness of God's promises in our lives. That's why it's so important that we be in that Bible more than ever. You can always find time even to look and read one page. Get in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Would you turn with me as we're going to read now uh, first? Let's go to Luke 23, okay? This is all part of, and then we're going right into Luke 24 also. Luke 23. We're going to start at verses 50. To 56. And this was after Jesus had given <coughs> after Jesus had given up the ghost. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Amanthea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down, he took Jesus's body down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher. That's a grave that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulchre and how his body was laid. And they returned and they prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So now here in chapter 24, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. <coughs> Let's see. Upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Now that was a wonder. Just realize how 
they must have been thinking, what happened? How could it be? How could it be? And in verse 4, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake to you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the day, third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulchre and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. All the evidence that Jesus Christ had arose from the dead was right there. Even they were going to anoint the body of Jesus. Hallelujah. And as they come to the top of a rise in the path, they all stop motionless and quiet. They stare off in the, the distance. These are the things they, they didn't expect that the body would not be there. Hallelujah, hallelujah. On the top of the hill, the locals call the skull. There are three crosses. That yesterday was the Sabbath. Nobody had yet removed them. So there they stand, an empty reminder of the horror of Friday. The one in the middle, that's the one that Jesus hung on. Hallelujah. And the bloodstains are from the crown of thorns that was crushed into Jesus' skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar, they came from the nails that were driven into his hands. That was the main beam. It was soaked in blood blood from his back, blood that was bled when the Roman soldiers beat him with a cat of nine tails. It also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran a spear through his side to see if he was dead. He was. He was. He died. He died on that cross for us. And the soldiers knew it, the Romans knew it, and the Jews also knew it. They all realized it, that Jesus died on the cross. 
It is the place where he died, but today it's empty. It's empty of Jesus' body, but full of God's promises, full of hope for all of us, you and me, full of hope of what he did for us. And it was real. It was real. He took all our sins to the cross. He forgave us. And he still does. He still does. He gave up his life for us. The promise of the empty cross is that you and I stand forgiven. Because it was on that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins because we all have fallen short of the glory of God. The only person who has ever lived a sinless life is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Everyone else has failed. According to God's law, the wages of sin is death. Of wages of sin is death. He says, the soul that sins will surely die. Because we have sinned, we deserve God's just punishment. We deserve eternal death. However, when you look at that empty cross, it's a reminder of God's promise that we have been forgiven. That's the greatest gift that we got from him to forgive as he forgave and still forgives us. We've got to use the forgiveness of Christ to forgive one another. There are things that go on in our lives and things that hurt us, but we must forgive one another. Otherwise, we're making the cross of no avail. He didn't die in vain. He paid the price for us. He forgave us. And we are to do likewise. On that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. God's word tells us again. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was on the cross that Jesus Christ offered his perfect, sinless life on behalf of each of us. No one else, not Moses or Abraham, not David or Isaiah, not Muhammad or Buddha, no one else has ever lived perfectly and then offered his perfect life for our salvation. That is why the Bible tells us that. There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. When Jesus breathed his last breath, he said and cried out, It is finished. It was there that his blood was split for our salvation. He literally transferred our accounts to his name. On that day, across every name he wrote in Jesus' blood, forgiven, forgiven, 
forgiven to each of us and everyone. The promise of Easter is the empty cross filled with the promise of forgiven sins. That's why Jesus died, so that we would be like him. Forgiving, he's saying. After pausing briefly to view the cross, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. As they go, one of them wonders aloud, who will move the stone for us? They have good reason to be concerned. The stone that was placed in front of the tomb was a large boulder, hmm. probably weighing upwards of two ton. I never realized it was that heavy. Two ton. Not only that, the Romans had sealed it, so no one was allowed to move it without their permission. However, the ladies continue. Suddenly, they feel the earth move. Frightened, they look at each other, not certain what to do. After a few things, a few minutes, Things seem normal, so they continue on their way. As they approach the burial site, they are still wondering about what had happened when they come upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers are all unconscious. The stone has been moved. An angel glowing like lightning is sitting on it and he says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. He has risen. The tomb is empty, and it was empty then. And the tremendous promise still holds what he said. Uh, there was this little uh, story here about a child who was eight years old and his name was Philip. He never felt like he belonged, this little child. He looked a little bit different and sometimes seemed unusual to his classmates. In his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. He gave every member a plastic egg. You know, the kind that pantyhose used to come in? Plastic egg. And he explained that each child was to go outside, find the symbol for new life, and put it into the egg. The class responded. Back in the classroom, the eggs were opened one at a time with each child, explaining the meaning of a symbol. In the first egg, there was a flower. Next, there was a butterfly. Another one had put some grass. The children oohed and awed. In another was a rock, and a lot of them laughed. Finally, the last egg was opened, and there was nothing. That's stupid, said one child, and another one said, someone didn't do it right. Remember, they're only eight years old. 
The teacher felt a tug on his shirt, and it was Philip who said, That's mine, and I did do right. It's empty because the tomb is empty. There was an unusual, thoughtful silence, and strangely, from that time on, Philip was accepted as part of the group. He continued to struggle with many physical problems, and then he got an infection, which most children would easily have shaken off, but Philip's weak body couldn't, and a few weeks later, he died. At his funeral, Nine eight-year-olds with their teacher brought their symbol of remembrance and placed it near his coffin. Their unusual gift of love to Philip wasn't flowers. It was an empty egg. Now, a symbol to them of new life and hope. It was Philip, the different child, who had helped his friends see the wonderful hope in the message of Easter, an eight-year-old child who knew that the tomb was empty and that Jesus arose for him. Glory to God. So we know the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise to every one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. This here is also saying about a father and son were traveling down a country road on an afternoon in the springtime when suddenly a bee flew in the window. Being deathly allergic to bee stings, the boy began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. Seeing the horror on his child's face, the father reached out and caught the bee. That goes to show you what parents do and how much they love their children. And he bit his hand. Soon he opened his hand and the bee began to buzz around once again. Again, the boy began to panic. The father reached over to his son, opened his hand, showing him the stinger still in his palm. He said, relax, son. I took the sting. The bee can't hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of saying to us, relax, my child. I took the sting. Death can't hurt you anymore. Because Jesus was alive. That's why that tomb was the open. The angel said, he is risen, and the promise to us is that we too can live even if we die. That is the second promise of Easter. But it doesn't end there. There's one more promise about Easter. It's the promise of the empty burial clothes. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the apostles and reported what had happened with this incredible news. That was in verse 12 of what we were just reading in the book of Luke. Peter and John immediately raced back to the tomb to see for themselves. When they got there, John stopped just outside the tomb 
but Peter ran in. It didn't take him long to discover that the tomb was just the way the woman had said it was. It was empty. This could only mean one thing. Jesus was alive. If someone had stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed the burial clothes and folded them up neatly and left them where they lay. Truly, Jesus was resurrected. Hallelujah. And if you remember, it wouldn't be long before Jesus himself would appear to Mary Madeline and to all of the apostles and eventually to over 500 people. He sat down with them, he walked with them, talked with them, he ate with them. And they fellowshiped with their Lord. That's the promise of the empty tomb, that Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would, uh, let's see now. Just want to get this. All righty. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 43 in the Old Testament so we could read, praise God. We're going to read first in Isaiah 43, Old Testament, verses 1 to 2. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. And he's speaking not only to Israel, but all saved. Fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, it, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you God's promises that's why he paid the price these are the promises here every word that we're here reading about the waters and the rivers they'll not overflow us even the fire the fire cannot burn us glory to God look at verses 15 to 19 I am the Lord your holy one the creator of his Israel your king Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, doesn't matter wherever we are, which brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In verse 25, I, even I, am he that blots out your transgressions for mine own sake 
and will not remember your sins. Again, forgiveness. Forgiveness is so powerful. This is what he's trying to say, hallelujah, to each of us. And if you would turn with me to the other scripture in Isaiah 35, hallelujah, Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, verse 46. I'm sorry, 426. Oh, boy. In Isaiah 35. <coughs> Say to them that are of a fearful heart. You know, this is Old Testament. But the Lord knew, even up to this day, how many, many, many have fearful hearts especially with all the things that are going on in that world around us, sometimes even in our families. All right, we, we know about our health. We know about having to pay rent. We know about all these daily things, but there are always darts coming at us. So that's why he's saying this here as a reminder. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, he's saying here, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap out of the heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. He is a mighty, mighty God. He is telling us over here every time about how he is with us and the great love that he has for us, how he blots out our sin, and how he will not remember them anymore. And here in this last scripture that we read, the description in this chapter leaves little to be interpreted. It, it requires only for us to believe. Believe that that cross is empty. He died for us. And he still would do it again if he had to. But he doesn't. Because we are his people. And we know that we will always let our Lord Jesus Christ be glorified through us. Through everything that we say and do and are. And we're always there for each other. And he's taught us how to pray. Even when we sing, we're praising him. We're giving him glory. Don't let one day go that you don't give him thanks for who he is in you and your family. Knowing that he is always there for you. 
the course is empty. Glory to God. We know that there are some churches that celebrate today as Palm Sunday. We don't have to do that. We don't do that. We don't put any uh, promises in palms and things like that. We just put promises to work that came from Jesus Christ and his word that lives in us because he's the living word. And he will never, never leave us or forsake us. Even if there's a fire we're going through or whatever it is, as he's been saying in Isaiah, he is there and he's alive and well and so are we in Jesus' name.